0: Uh, let's read again the verses that we're going to study this morning on deacons. First uh, Timothy chapter 3 from verse 8. Deacons likewise are to be men worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, and not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested, and then, if there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. In the same way, their wives are to be women worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. A deacon must be the husband of but one wife and must manage his children and his household well. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. Amen. Many of you, I'm sure, are are either members in the National Trust or you've been to properties that belong to the National Trust of Scotland. And in many ways, the the National Trust could be described as a sleeping giant. Uh, It has an enormous membership. Uh, there's a membership of over five million in England and Wales, and uh, it's over a third of a million in Scotland. Now, in a sense, it's an environmental organisation. It's caring largely for, things like stately homes or castles in remote parts of the country. But there are enormous challenges to the environment. Uh, more widely, there's the, the challenge of urban sprawl, challenge of of lack of farm policy, challenge of plastics polluting the environment. Uh, There's a heap of issues uh, on which the National Trust is marvelously silent. (laughs) Uh, This enormous membership, which really makes very little impact, largely because it's associated with quaint uh, houses, uh, coffee rooms, and tea towels, a sleeping giant. And in many ways, the diaconate, deacons within the church, could be described as a sleeping giant. Uh, the calling of the deacon is high. The potential impact of a biblical diaconate is enormous. And yet, if we're honest, when we think about the work of deacons or a deacon's court, we think about budgets, we think about uh, you know, repairing boilers when on the blink. Uh, thermostats, and things like that. The word deacon comes from uh, the Greek word uh, diakona, which uh, means service or ministry. Um, And there are essentially two forms of ministry or service. Uh, There's a ministry of the word, and there's uh, a ministry of mercy. Mercy. In Acts chapter 6, which is a key passage when we're talking about uh, deacons, uh, we have a situation where the apostles are being overwhelmed by the needs of the widows. Uh, There was a a dispute broke out where uh, the uh, the Greek-speaking widows felt that they were being neglected in the distribution of help. And so the solution to this was not to make the apostles work harder, Uh, but to to spread the load. And so uh, the seven, which included Philip and Stephen, were appointed to uh, this mercy ministry. But the point is that uh, both were described as ministry. The ministry that the apostles did, which was the ministry of preaching and of prayer, uh, was a ministry or a service. And the service that the apostles the seven were called to was also a ministry. Uh, they were just two different forms of ministry, uh, which underlines the importance of actually simply recognizing that to which we are called and sticking to it. The apostles realized it was vital to the health and well being of the church that the real practical needs of the widows were attended to, and they couldn't do that without neglecting the ministry of the word. And so, spirit-filled men, some of the best men that the early church afforded, were given the task of diaconal work. We see something of the the high calling of the deacon uh, being modelled in the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Uh, We have that key verse in Matthew 20, verse 28, The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, if you were to to translate that literally, it would be uh, the Son of Man came not to be deaconed, but to deacon and to give his life as a ransom for many. He is the prototype, if you like, the great servant, uh, the, the model for the deacon in the church, whose first calling is to serve others. And in the the Scottish church, we desperately need a recovery of the office of deacon for the well-being of the church. If the church is to see, practically, the love of God, if the the love of God is to be made visible to the watching world, we need a renewed diaconate. At the time of the Reformation, Knox and the Reformers uh, saw mercy as being a mark of the church. The medieval church had become preoccupied with itself. It was amassing great wealth. And when the Reformation came, uh, the great plan was to disperse the the lands and the wealth of the church (laughs) to help the poor. And we saw the first flowering of diaconal ministry at the time of the Reformation. And then uh, we move forward to uh, the the beginnings of the Free Church of Scotland. And whilst it was a time of religious revival uh, through the Word of God, there was also a rediscovery of the diaconate under men like Thomas Chalmers and Thomas Guthrie. Chalmers marked out the parish of St. John's in Glasgow into districts where the deacons could uh, have Uh, reasonable and particular oversight of those within the district and would know would be familiar with who was in need and could see that these needs were being met let's look at the the qualifications that uh, Paul lays down for a deacon and then consider the duties of a deacon and then we're going to think about some interesting things that are said about uh, women, and whether uh, it's a pointer towards uh, deaconesses, and then close very briefly with a a vision of how the diaconate should be developed uh, in our day. Well, we can consider the the qualifications for deacons fairly rapidly because they are remarkably like the qualifications for elders, uh, which is what we would expect. one of the first that's mentioned is that they are to be worthy of respect. deacon in the church is an office and the deacon should be one worthy of that office. He should be worthy of respect. There's a story told about uh,
1: a group of American
0: tourists who were being taken around uh, the Houses of Parliament. And they were in uh, the the lobby area between the commons and the House of Lords. And they were quite impressed with all the heraldry and all the the kind of ancient symbols around the place. And whilst they were going through this lobby, uh, a peer coming from the the House of Lords recognized uh, Neil Kinnock, who was at that point uh, Lord Kinnock. And to grab his attention, he shouted over, Neil, Neil. And the American tourists, uh, thinking that they had stumbled upon some, uh, you know, uh, ancient British uh, custom, uh, took to their, the floor immediately and showed obeisance uh, to this uh, unknown dignitary that was coming in their direction. Now the world has all kinds of formal uh, ways of showing respect and demanding respect. And the deacon is one whose life is to command respect because of the quality of his life. Uh, The word implies uh, also a a reverence in his bearing, not a false stuffiness, but rather a reverence that arises from a proper seriousness in regard to the Christian life. He is one uh, who is deeply serious about his calling to follow Christ and whose quality of Christian living commands the respect of those in the church around him. As with the elder, the deacon is marked out by self-control and integrity. He's to be sincere, which means that he's not to be uh, literally double-tongued. He is to be an authentic individual. So what he says in one context uh, is not (coughs) totally different from his conversation in a different context. His whole life is integrated around Christ and his gospel. Uh, He is self-controlled in the three uh, key categories where uh, men in Christian leadership can fall into temptation. Uh, he's to be self-controlled in relation to the opposite sex. Again, there's that uh, phrase, a one-woman man. Uh, if he is married, he is to be faithful to his wife. Uh, if he's not married, he is to uh, keep himself pure and chaste. The deacon, remember, is going to be someone who will be working with, with, uh, with widows, uh, as was the, the, the case with the seven. Uh, he is to have self-control In the area of personal purity. Uh, He will be self-controlled in the handling of money, Uh, again, something which the deacon will be involved in a lot. He'll be involved in the the handling and the distribution of money. Uh, He's a steward of the church's finances. Uh, He's not to be a lover of money. He's not to seek after dishonest gain. He's to be self-controlled in his finances, in his uh, regard to money. Sex, money, and alcohol. Another area where you have uh, high-profile falls. People uh, who have a weakness in our alcohol. He must not be addicted to much wine. If he is not teetotal, then his temperance should be outstanding, uh, should be known to all needs to be able, again, to relate to others, uh, just as the elders should relate well to others. And in this uh, context, he's to manage his household well. Now, he's a leader in a different sense from the elder. Uh, the elder has the, the, the governing of the congregation, but he is a leader, and he's to lead well in the home. Uh, he's to have children who, if he has children, they respect him and uh follow uh, in the, the path that he has set before them. Uh, he is to be uh, loved and respected at home if he is to be loved and respected in the church. And just as elders should not uh, be new converts, so deacons also should be uh, should shouldn't be rocketed to the position uh, quickly. They should be given time to show that they have the character and gifts to qualify as elders. In many ways, uh, an el- a deacon will emerge very uh, obviously from the congregation, Uh, they will have a readiness to engage in acts of service, they will already be known as the ones who are connecting with needy people, uh, who are around when things have to be done. the diaconate is not a, a badging up of someone in the, the hope that it gives encouragement for them to, to move on. If they have not already demonstrated their suitable, suitability for uh, ordination to uh, deacon, then they are not suitable material. In Acts chapter 6, the apostles decide uh, that they need to elect men who will see to the distribution of aid to widows. You'd think it's think fairly elementary task for them to do. Uh, But, they say, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. Again, it's a noble task. Uh, It's requiring spiritual men who are self-controlled, who command (coughs) respect. One of the interesting qualifications for uh, the deacon is that they must hold the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience, the deep truths of the faith. That sounds as though it it means that they need to be able to understand double predestination or or something like that. It's actually a poor translation by the New International Version, uh, because what Paul says here is that they need to hold sincerely to the mystery of the faith, which is simply a fairly standard way of referring to the gospel. The gospel is a mystery which was once hidden and now disclosed. So the deacon has to have gospel convictions. He must hold to the gospel and his life should live out the gospel. Now that, of course, implies that he must have a handle on doctrine because you can't have convictions about something you don't understand. Therefore, he must understand the gospel and so there's a doctrinal requirement for those who hold offices and in the free church of scotland we require that men who are ordained to the office of elder and deacon must be able to say of the westminster confession of faith this is my doctrine okay so as far as the the the, the whole um, the the doctrine of the confession is concerned uh, they're able to subscribe to that and an ordination of elders and deacons, uh, they will sign, they will put their name uh, to that, what we call the, sometimes the formula, it's as though it's uh, something from the chemistry class, but uh, they, the statement that uh, they are subscribing to this summary of Christian doctrine that we have as our subordinate standard. Now, just as Paul gave encouragement to the elders, remember he said to the elders, uh, if you seek to be an elder, Uh, it's a good thing. It's a good thing to seek to it. There's also encouragement to the deacon, uh, that if they serve well, they will, A, gain respect of those around them, and also, they will have assurance for their faith. Serving well in the church uh, feeds into Christian assurance. What are the duties of deacons? Well, uh, obviously, the word itself means to serve, so a deacon is literally a servant. That in itself doesn't help us particularly because every Christian is called to be a servant. But there are some believers who excel in meeting the needs of others. In fact, one of the spiritual gifts, uh, as mentioned in, in First 1 Corinthians, is the, the gift of helping so you can think of the deacon <coughs> as a pace setter or a playmaker in serving. Think of a World Cup illustration uh, for this. And you have in football teams people who are playmakers, people who direct the play. Uh, I was initially thinking of using Lionel Messi as an example of this, but it may no longer be relevant. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but people who see the opportunity that nobody else sees, and make the pass that no one thought of making, uh, who control the the tempo of the game. Well, the deacon is to be a playmaker in that sense. He is to be a leader. Uh, He is the one who encourages others in acts of service so that the temple is raised for mercy ministry within the congregation. They lead by example. They have insight into new opportunities. They mobilize others and they put them in key positions to serve. You know, the playmaker in football is not always the one who scores the goal, but he enables others uh, to have that last telling touch. Now, although the, uh, the, the seven men who are set apart in Acts 6 are not actually called deacons, uh, most commentators are agreed that what we have here are proto-deacons. They are the the prototype for deacons. So they they do the things that deacons are expected to do. Uh, They are the kind of men that deacons are expected to be. They were men uh, full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom, and they served the needs of the widows in the early church. Diaconal works essentially dealing with Uh, felt needs which arise because of the fall. So theologically, deacons are dealing with uh, the three concentric rings which uh, arise from uh, man's first rebellion against God. And when that happened, uh, there was a breakdown in our relationship uh, with God. If you see uh, the, the center circle as being a broken relationship with God, then that's the core need that every individual has. Our core need is to be right with God. And just as Adam and Eve fled from God and and hid behind uh, the the bushes, the groves in in Eden, uh, so uh, people by and large will not acknowledge their core need and try to hide. Uh, Hide by worshiping false gods, gods of family, career, uh, pleasure, and denial that they are in flight from God. There's that core, inner, broken relationship with God. Then you, you move further out, and because of the fall, you have broken relationships with other people. As a consequence of sin, Adam and Eve began to blame one another. As a consequence of sin, God said, that the relationship between the sexes would be one of competition, that the the man would have a tendency towards uh, domineering and and chauvinism, and the woman would seek to have won over on uh, the man. Uh, There would be this breakdown in human relationships. And we see that that felt need uh, working itself out in a whole heap of different ways. Bullying at school is a result of that breakdown in relationships because of the fall. Domestic violence. uh, All kinds of uh, broken relationships as a result of this second uh, concentric circle of breakdown. And then lastly, a a breakdown in our relationship with the environment. As a result of sin, uh, God says that the ground will no longer uh, be as responsive to the labour of Adam as it was. It will yield uh, thorns and thistles. It will be by the sweat of his brow that he earns his bread. And we see the the, the effects of sin in all kinds of, of uh, natural calamities uh, earthquakes, uh, power block failures, uh the physical environment around us. And deacons spearhead the church's calling. To minister the help of the gospel to a world that is hurting, that is groaning under the fall. Uh, when we meet with one of the outer circle of needs such as relieving poverty, uh, visiting the sick and widows, supporting single, uh, single girls who decide to carry their babies through to term, uh, when we do anything of these kind of things, we are showing the love of God. We are making visible the the great truth that God uh, is a God of love. And diaconal work uh, will very often uh, undergird and bring uh, an energy to the work of evangelism, will give credibility to evangelism. But our primary reason or mercy ministry is that God has commanded us to love our neighbor. This is the great commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and sin and your neighbor as yourself. And we have that written into our vision statement, don't we, as a congregation? That not only do we want to share the Bible, but we want to love our neighbor. We want to have a balance, uh, to uh, be faithful to. God's requirements of us as his followers. When Jesus spoke about loving our neighbor uh, in the parable of the Good Samaritan, uh, he spoke about uh, a very unlikely person who met the felt needs of a stranger who was probably a Jew. Uh, Those felt needs included intervening uh, to remove the, uh, the man from immediate danger, Uh, And that intervention was, of course, a risky one because uh, the man there, who was uh, covered in blood and bruised, uh, was a sign, obviously, that there were uh, uh, thugs in the neighbourhood who may still be in the neighbourhood. So it was a risky intervention. Uh, He gave the man medical relief by pouring wine on his wounds and binding them up. He provided for his transport needs by putting him on his donkey, taking him to the inn. Uh, He provided shelter for the man and he provided ongoing support by offering to pay whatever was needed for the ongoing care of this man. And what the man did is identified as mercy. Uh, The rich young ruler replies that it was he who uh, showed mercy to the man that was his neighbour. Jesus says, you go and do likewise. The deacon's role is to take a lead in meeting uh, human felt needs with acts of mercy. Now, there's an interesting mention in verse 11 of their wives, uh, and it's interesting from a number of points of view. it's interesting that the NIV has, has made a judgement call in translating a word gunakai, uh, which actually is women, and there's no definite article, uh, there's no personal pronoun, uh, it's simply women. Uh, women likewise, and that of course is the same way that uh, elders and deacons, their role has been introduced. Elders likewise, deacons likewise. So is this introducing uh, a new category of office bearer uh, deaconesses? Uh, in favour of that is the the fact that the the tasks that they would be called to do uh, wouldn't contravene what Paul has said about uh, women not teaching or having authority over a man. And there's also the question of why uh, this we have this list of women uh, sandwiched in the midst of teaching on the deacon and why these women are to have qualifications. Uh, Why are they, in effect, being screened for their character? And one response is, uh, which the NIV uh, opts for, is that these women are deacon's wives and therefore uh, the deacons are being qualified for their jobs by looking also to the character of their wives. But why should the deacons be singled out like that? The elders' wives didn't have a screening process of that kind, and one would have thought that it was even as important, or even more important, that the elders' wives should be screened. Why just the deacons' wives be screened in this way? By far the most likely reason is that these women were screened Uh, with this selection criteria because they were going to be appointed to do diaconal work in the congregation, uh, perhaps alongside their husbands, whereas the elders' wives would not be expected to uh, share in the work of the eldership with their husbands. And this uh, adverb likewise further supports this and it precedes the description of elders and deacons. So, uh, it does seem that uh, they are mentioned in this way because of a particular function that they had. But the word is simply women, and it could be that they were the wives of deacons, but it could also be that it was a wider group of women and that they were selected uh, on the the basis of their character uh, for assisting uh, the deacons. There seems to be a distinction between the women of verse 11 and the deacons whose duty is described in the paragraphs around them. So we have this interesting mention of women uh, and and then uh, their characters. And then in Romans 16 verse 1 we have a mention of Phoebe uh, who is sometimes referred in the translations as a deaconess of the church in Cancria. But again, the word is simply a uh, servant of the church at Cancria. So on that basis, it's very difficult to build a case for an office of deaconess. What we, in conclusion, what we seem to have here is a recognition that there would be women who would be assisting the deacons in the work of mercy uh, that they are distinguished from uh, the deacons themselves, but those women who do uh, come alongside and assist uh, are to be women of character, uh, women who are worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. Uh, And so there should be, it seems, uh, a recognition of women who are uh, suited Uh, of appropriate character to be involved with that, but not uh, to be ordained uh, to the office of deacon in the sense that that the men are, are referred to on either side of this short passage. How then does the sleeping giant wake up? How do we see a renewal of diaconal work in our own day? How does the deacon do serious damage to Satan's kingdom? How do we have a diaconal work from Hope Church uh, that will show God's love uh, inside and outside of the congregation and bring substantial healing uh, to that which sin has hurt? Well, in the first case, we definitely need to have a new focus on the aspect of the the deacon's work, which is mercy ministry rather than maintenance. We tend to think exclusively uh, about the deacon as somebody perhaps who is handy with a a hammer and nails or good at fixing stuff, and that's good. (laughs) We need to have boilers fixed and we need to have uh, churches rain and weatherproof. But the deacon's called to mercy ministry, to be proactive in meeting uh, the needs of people hurting under the fall. We need a shift of emphasis, a new focus on mercy. A call to develop, to outreach, to advance against the darkness. And if that is to happen, then there needs to be this wider body engaged to do diaconal work. Uh, if all of us are servants by virtue of the fact that we follow Jesus Christ who is the servant king and if as First uh, Timothy 3 suggests uh, uh, women are to be selected to uh, be part of this uh, specialist work of mercy then we need to mobilize a larger number of people uh, to do the work and then how do we organize it well sometimes the work of deacon is simply submerged uh, in by the eldership uh, it's been our practice uh, to have a deacon's court where elders and deacons meet together and sometimes uh, the deacons can be a very small minority of that gathering and is there a case to uh, give more autonomy to uh, the deacon's court and to give them uh, greater encouragement uh, to use uh, the resources to hand, and their distinctive calling to further the work of compassion uh, for which God has raised up deacons in his church. May God enable us to think through these things, and to rise to the task of showing God's love through mercy and ministry to his glory. Amen.